Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Hi, this is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We are proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com, other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. All right, welcome everyone. Continuing with this series on reforestation and agroforestry, I got the chance to speak with Peter Van Midwood, the lead tree planting officer of the search engine company Ecosia. Now, I've been using Ecosia as my default search engine for a couple of years now because of their claim to plant trees around the world with the profits from ad revenue every time you search. But I wanted to know more about their tree planting initiatives and how they actually work. In this interview, Peter and I start by talking about how Ecosia as a company functions and how the simple act of searching the web with their service can support reforestation initiatives around the world. We then go into detail about how funding is distributed and how Peter and his team vet different partner organizations that they support. He also unpacks some of the difficult and often unknown risks behind poorly planned and executed tree planting projects, the difference between tree plantations and healthy forests, the importance of promoting biodiversity, the social aspects that determine the success of new forests, and much more. We even get into the indirect ways of supporting native reforestation without ever planting a tree by protecting damaged landscapes and creating the conditions for forests to reseed themselves on their own. I was really impressed with the holistic and context-based approach to ecological regeneration that Ecosia has. After researching many different reforestation initiatives for this series, I found very few organizations that address the needs of local communities and biodiversity over arbitrary numbers and targets for success, especially following up on the success or failure of a project and publishing the results transparently. Now, I've included a few extra links in the show notes for this episode that examine and analyze Ecosia's model and the accountability of their projects. As always, you can find all of them at AbundantEdge.com. Now I'll hand things over to Peter. Hey, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, really well. Thank you. Yeah. Man, I've been looking forward to speaking to you for a while because you have one of the coolest job descriptions that I've heard of in a while, especially as it relates to this series on reforestation that we're doing in the podcast. So what do you say we just jump right into the questions? Let's do it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Marvelous. All right. Well, so let's start with the beginning. Could you tell me a little bit about your personal background and how you became the lead tree planting officer for Ecosia? So I am from the Netherlands. I was born in the Netherlands, um, close to a city called Arnhem. And this is actually uh, the area where there's still the biggest forest in the Netherlands. And indeed, where I lived, we were like one minute away from the forest. So, you know, in the weekends, we were very often uh, between the trees. And um, when it was towards the end of the 90s and I had to pick my study, I, I knew I, there were many things I really liked, but um, forests and trees, I was really fascinated by that. And I wanted to understand ecology and how all these systems work. So this is why I studied forest and nature conservation in the Netherlands. And <clears throat> during my studies, of course, I learned that it's, it's not so much ecology or, or technology um, that determines whether trees or forests are in a certain place, but it's really people that determine that. So uh, my forest and nature conservation study also became a kind of a social and a policy study. Um, so I, I kind of got specialized in both areas, the, the minor in the one and the major in the other. Um, after that, I worked uh, for a couple of years to set up quality standards for reforestation projects. And I'm now going fast forward um, until in 20, uh, 2016, I found a job ad from Ecosia that was looking for a tree planting officer. Um, and I, <laughs> I first was like, okay, what's this, you know? Right. It's, it's, it sounded cool, but it also sounded 
pretty weird actually. <laughs> so um, I looked into it and I saw the job description and uh, I didn't know Ecosia. So uh, I learned what Ecosia is actually doing, you know, that through the normal business of having a search engine, um, they, they, they collect money and they use that money to plant trees. And um, still I found it a little bit atypical and I was like, yeah, tree planting is claimed by so many organizations. This is really kind of the direction I want to go in my life. Till I realized that it's really genuine what they're doing, that they actually have quite a lot of money available and that this is a, a, a company that was set up to plant trees through a search engine. So it was not a search engine that needed some kind of uh, green offset to show that they also do something good. No, the whole, the, the, the purpose of the company was to make the tree planting possible. So I got really enthusiastic when I learned all that. So then I applied for a job. I got a job as first um, tree planting officer at Ecosia. And from then on, this was September 2016. I've been kind of structuring their portfolio. I've been working to actually create a vision. You know, where do we want to plant trees? How do we plant them? Um, all these things really from the, uh, say the high level vision to the nitty gritty operational stuff. And I, I personally really like to, to work on both ends and to see how, um, yeah, I would say, uh, abstract <clears throat> visions become a reality on the ground to bridge those two is something I really like. So, um, yeah, now it's 2019. Ecosia has about 25 reforestation projects, uh, restoration projects worldwide that we're uh, supporting. My team is a little bit bigger now. I have one other tree planting officer and we have a regenerative agriculture specialist in my team. Um, but actually we have a, a, a lot of partners, you know, the 25 partners that we work with. And I almost consider them to be my team because I'm touched with them very frequently. Um, you know, it always goes in waves, sometimes a bit more, then a bit less again. Um, and, and even wider, the team is all the people working in the field. So, yeah, it's been a big journey, but this is where I came from and this is where I'm now. And uh, we've planted 70 million trees so far. And um, I'm really proud of that. And I, it's hard work, but um, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, as you should be. Those are some stunning statistics. So before we start to unpack kind of what the projects entail and what you do on the ground, let's start from the beginning by talking about what Ecosia is and what sets it apart from other search engines. As I said, Ecosia was never set up to just create another search engine. When Christian, our founder, um, founded Ecosia, it was because he was traveling in the world and he saw that a lot of deforestation is happening. And he thought, okay, we need to think, how can we create a mechanism that's gonna create money to, 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 to reverse this process? And um, so he set up, he had, I think for some longer time already, the idea to have um, um, a search engine for, uh, for collecting money for something good. So this is where things came together. Um, so he set up Ecosia as a vehicle to make money to plant trees. Um, and I think this is really extraordinary. I was also, Christian was not a forester. He didn't study forestry, he studied economics. And I think that's cool because it shows if you kind of work outside of your normal comfort zone, people can have really, really strong ideas. So this is where it, where it all started. And uh, since then, Ecosia has been developing. And um, yeah, we're in some countries now, the second search engine after Google. Um, we're still very small compared to Google, but we have a big, big potential. And more and more people that are concerned about the environment, concerned about the future that we have, you know, they now choose to use Ecosia because, yeah, because they understand that Everything you do, um, you know, whether it's buying something, uh, whether it's going on a trip somewhere, you're spending your money and it means you're making decisions about how you want the world to look. Um, and this sounds like I studied this sentence for years, but this is really, really how it is. Um, hmm. yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned, of course, Google is still the search engine, which is the default pretty much the world over. Why would someone want to switch and what differences will they notice? Like, is there any compromise in, in how searches are done or is it, is it more or less the same? I would say it's more or less the same when it comes to the search results perspective. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's really improving over time. So when I used Ecosia for the first time three years ago, I would say the results were not as good as they are today. There will always be a slight difference because, um, you know, Ecosia is not only the search engine that plants trees, but we're also very privacy friendly. So we do not store um, searches that are made uh, for more than a couple of days. And we also do not link an idea to those searches. So not 
like Google, we're not creating a profile about who it is that, that is searching for this. And, you know, at the moment that you search for baby clothes, uh, one year later, we will also propose you a nice bed for your baby. We do not have these profiles. So it means that we always have to compromise a little bit on the search results because we know you're not as good as Google knows you. Um, uh, and that is something what I would say is a reason to use Ecosia. Um, mm. The other reason you want to use Ecosia is we're generally planting trees with the money. You know, we have an income now of uh, close to 2 million euros a month. And half of that is used to plant trees. Um, so it goes into a fund. And from that fund, we take our money to, uh, to plant trees. And that's, that's an amazing impact uh, that, that we're having on the lives of thousands of people in this world, but also on, on fauna and flora. And this is very real. I'm Nicosia's tree planting officer. I visit these projects. I am in the field. I shake hands with the people that plant the trees. I plant trees with them. This is really happening. Um, and I think that's, that's very powerful. And it is, it's so motivating to work for a company which purpose it is to, to do things like this, you know, to do something good for the world instead of uh, yeah, filling pockets of shareholders. You know, it's, it's what makes me wake up every morning that I know that this is the kind of thing I'm working on. And many, for many of my colleagues, uh, the same thing. So, um, yeah, this is, this is really the difference between, between Ecosia, Ecosia and Google. And, and this is the reason why you should switch to Ecosia, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so uh, tell me exactly how Ecosia turned searches into trees. I know for a lot of people who, you know, uh, this isn't running as a charity. And I know in transparency in business, especially socially conscious or ecologically conscious businesses like this is important. Yeah. So yeah. walk me through the process of uh, what is the way that they make money and how is that directly translated into trees in the ground? Yeah. Um, so um, when you search for something online, there's people who organizations, companies um, that show you advertisements or that want their product to be, uh, to be advertised uh, next to your search results. Um, <clears throat> and this is how Google makes its money and this is how Cosia makes its money. Um, and, and sometimes some of the adverts, which is very often the first or the second uh, search results you will get, um, you know, they, they work very well for you. They're exactly what you need. And so you click on that link. And on that moment, uh, Ecosia makes a little bit of money. Um, not much, but it's a little bit. And uh, this money um, is then um, sent uh, to Ecosia. So once a month, uh, the totals of this advertisement clicking money uh, comes into our account. And we use that money, uh, which is, as I said, by now about 2 million euros a year, which, uh, sorry, a month, which is, you know, if you think about it, how often do you actually click on ads? Me personally, not so often. So a lot of people are actually doing it. So it is a business that really works. Uh, this is about 2 million euros every month. Now, this is higher than it's ever been. We're now 2 million euros. And so we first deduct all the different costs we're having. We're having costs for renting our office. We're having salaries that need to be paid. Uh, we have a number of servers uh, that are running. Um, we uh, are investing in renewable energy because we want our servers to run on renewable energy. Uh, that has a cost. We are uh, having marketing and communication to make Ecosia more famous and have more users so we can employ more trees. So all these costs get deducted. And from the money that remains, uh, we say that 80% is used to plant trees. And I say we say because actually in practice it's more like 90%, sometimes even 100%. And we also try this chunk to always be cl close to 40 to 50% of our turnover, you know, because we could say, uh, yeah, 90% of our profits is used for trees. We just don't make any profits because we spend it all on other nice things. Now that's mm. not how we work. We try this to be like 40 to 50% of our monthly turnover. Now that money goes into a fund, which we call our tree planting fund. And um, uh, from that fund, we pay our partners to plant trees. Um, so sometimes the money goes directly to the partners and skipping the fund, but most of it actually goes through the fund first. And this tree planting uh, is the result of a contract that I have made uh, with a partner in a country, let's say in Burkina Faso, one of our biggest projects. So I have a contract with them at the beginning uh, of every year, which is normally uh, you know, after the rainy season. Um, then we make a plan and a budget and a cash flow for, okay, how many trees do we want to plant together? 
what does it entail? You know, which activities do they have to do? Uh, they have to prepare the ground, they have to buy the seeds, uh, they have to work with the communities. So a plan is made, and uh, at the end of that plan, a budget is made, and a certain number of trees will be planted under this contract in a particular time frame, normally a year. And then during the year, you know, we pay uh, the, the invoices that our partner sends us for the work they've been doing from the tree fund. Um, so so that, is, that is really how it works because they send us the invoice for the work that they have been doing and you know halfway or towards the end of the contract that is a number of trees that they have been uh, planted and, and also when that has been done we again get an invoice and, and we pay our partner for that. So <clears throat> this is important to me, this detail, which may sound like a detail, but we're not just donating money to organizations um, because they plant trees. We have a plan, we have a budget, and we have a contract on how many trees in which, which time frame. And this is super important um, because, well, you know, if you put a, a dollar in the ground, no trees will grow. So if we make more and more money, it doesn't mean that if we just pay our partners more that they will automatically plant more trees. You know, tree planting is something uh, that normally at least takes a year of planning um, because you need to work in the rainy season, you have to set up your nurseries and all that. It's not something that continues the whole year. So you need to make plants that are big enough to cover that year and then we pay them based on those plants. I'll make sure that um, uh, the amount of trees that, that get planted with our partners and that we paid for um, is always a little bit higher than the amount of trees uh, that we say on our website that we've planted so far. So now our tree counter is around 75 million, uh, but in reality we're a bit higher. And so how do those calculations work? How do you figure out how many trees have especially survived after a certain period of time? Because if I understand correctly, there's sort of a about a three-year window in which many new trees fail how is that sort of factored into the counter yeah so as i said i make sure uh that um the, the trees we've planted is always a little bit higher than the than the counter but we also commit that we will uh follow every tree for at least three years so in the in and this three years is chosen because young trees are quite vulnerable uh, but if they manage to get three years old, uh, then they're normally also strong enough to grow 30 years old. Um, you know, there's other factors that can, can avoid that from happening. But ecologically speaking, uh, this, this tree has a good chance. And if in the social context in which it's planted, it survived the first three years, it has a good, a good future. So we said, we count a tree as a tree when it's three years old. So by doing field monitoring, verification, or using satellite imagery, or normally actually a combination of those, we follow the trees for three years. And if we see that uh, in a certain area uh, we are losing trees, then we deduct them again from our total count. Um, but again, it's my task to make sure that uh, the, the counter that is on the website is never higher than the actual trees that are, uh, that are in the ground and that we are tracking over time. So it might be that um, uh, one day we have 100 million trees planted, um, but because of some uh, lack of survival or a fire or other things, we're losing 5 million. So then I correct our total tree count at 95 million. But at the website, the tree counter might only be at 85 million by that moment. So I always make sure that we track a tree for three years. And if it dies, we, we, we correct for that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's quite thorough. So now let's talk about you've got... You said more than 25 projects all around the world. Where are these yeah. trees being planted and how does the organization choose sites for reforestation? Um, every organization has kind of its uh, specialization in, you know, planting trees in, in, the, in the area in which they are uh, located. So <clears throat> they all do it. I would say a little bit different, although there is some similarities. So typically trees get planted at uh, private farmland. So we plant a lot of uh, trees on private farmlands. So farmers that, uh, you know, want to do more agroforestry kind of systems, very often this also includes uh, fruit trees. Uh, this is very often what we talk about. Then there's often uh, communal land that gets planted. So that's really village land that, for example, uh, has been used for grazing. 
um, but you know it's degraded. There's not much nutrients left, so it's not productive anymore. And the, and the village wants to restore it, so communal land. And then there are sites that are uh, more uh, governmental sites. Um, it, this can be even in national parks or just outside national parks, or for example, uh, to restore uh, watersheds. So um, areas that are very important to uh, uh, avoid uh, erosion and runoff of water. Uh, too much water in the rivers, it's all flowing away during a couple of weeks. And uh, now actually restoring uh, kind of the, the mountain slopes will avoid this runoff. So these are typically the kind of locations where the trees get planted. Um, where they get planted, depends on whether a community is interested in having those trees so ecosia obviously doesn't buy land and then puts trees there now we we are only interested in finding communities that are interested to plant trees with us um, also because of course that's much better for the survival of the trees now you want people that want trees and then you can work with them now so our local partners they they know they constantly go out in the field and either they are called by villages that have heard of the programs or they proactively, uh, you know, during um, a community meeting of the village, they go there and explain about our program. And then <clears throat> together with the village, they make a plan. Uh, where, where will they be planted? Um, how many trees are then actually needed? Uh, how many nurseries do we maybe need to establish? Are there farmers that are interested in having trees at their private lands, etc.? So then it's there their task to kind of make an inventory of all of that and they put that together and that is kind of the, the figure that they are uh, putting in the planning with Ecosia. So they know at the beginning of the year we will probably work with, I don't know, uh, five villages every month during the socialization phase. Every village has X number of households and so many hectares of communal land. So they know kind of what they can do based on the experiences they have in the past years. I love that approach. I'm really glad that such a large organization is working so directly with communities and the people affected to get these projects going, not just from sort of a top-down model, but one that really utilizes the human resources on site and works with people who are already trying to regenerate the landscapes where they live. Now, I know there are some some difficulties kind of associated with that and and some of these are not that easy to address like many reforestation projects especially around the world that follow this kind of top-down model that i mentioned are deceptive in that they're planting monocultures of often non-native species that will either all be cut down again when they yeah. get to a certain size and yeah. can even have devastating effects on the ecology despite this this kind of umbrella term of reforestation and yeah. sometimes leaving them kind of worse off and the land will slowly, or it's worse off than leaving the land on its own to slowly regenerate. So how is Ecosia addressing the need for broader biodiversity and proliferation of native species? Yeah. Well, it's uh, very simply, this is what we call reforestation. So for me, planting monocultures of eucalyptus or monocultures of pine trees has nothing to do with reforestation. These are, these are tree plantations. I think even tree plantations, in particular, actually, when, I, when they serve smallholders, um, can have their role. I have to be very careful here because I'm really not pointing at the large, kind of uh, more than a couple of hectares, uh, um, uh, yeah, monoculture sites. But overall, uh, Ecosia simply doesn't allow it in its programs. So if someone comes with that proposal, and I had that a number of times, where they want to plant eucalyptus and pine trees, um, we simply reject it. We want our partners to plant uh, native tree species from the region, and we allow for 10% exotics. And the 10% exotics are normally the smallholder woodlots that I just talked about, or sure. uh, you know, fruit trees in uh, agroforestry systems. But the majority has to be native and from the region. And this is, this is a knockout criterion for us. So again, I've had proposals where people wanted to do different and we didn't accept it. Um, there is, we have a project, uh, this is actually in Peru. They work in the high Andes and they found it very difficult in their first year to, to get exactly to this 90% uh, uh, target um, uh, because the communities there were, were used to planting pines. That's the only thing they had in the nursery. 
So there we allowed to kind of over the period of three years work towards 90% from 70%. Uh, but it's the only exception I can think of. So for the rest, we want, we want native trees uh, to be planted. Um, and this is also what is needed, you know. I think the, 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 these, these are the, <laughs> the most unlucky of all the trees in the world. You know, they get, they get cut down every day at an enormous rate because their, their timber is valuable or because they apparently stand in the way for soy or, uh, or palm oil plantations. And, and, and also no one is actually, there's not many organizations having them in their nurseries because they don't have very much of a commercial value. Yet for the local ecosystem, they are just the, the skeleton there. You know, forests are the most diverse, you know, most of the, the, the biodiversity on the planet lives in forests. So, and trees play a very important role of that. Yet we're cutting them at an enormous rate and no one has the expertise on how to grow them back. Um, so I really want Ecosia to be leading in this, and um, we we have, and um, uh, our project in Brazil in the Mata Atlantica is one of the biggest contributors to this. But we're planting, uh, I think by now over 500 native tree species all over the world, um, and and that is that's a principal point that we want. We want our money to be used for this kind of things. And if people don't want this, fair enough, then we go somewhere else. Um, but it's it's there's also something about actually getting the capacity to understand how we can restore some of these ecosystems that we have been destroying. There's not, there's not much people who know that, and it takes time to, to, to understand how you do it. Um, for me, planting monoculture eucalyptus and pine is a whole different game. You know, Really, the only thing these, these systems have in common is the fact that both are tree-based. But it, for me, a monoculture plantation is nothing more than, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, an agricultural uh, land with uh, with corn. You know, it's a monoculture crop used for human production, um, and um, uh, it's it's not the future. You know, it doesn't make sense. They destroy soils. They use too much water, um, and <laughs> we 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 even have now the problem that most of the expertise when it comes to tree planting in this world is for this kind of uh, uh, systems. So many of the, um, uh, the international pledges that there are about restoration are actually thinking about, you know, oh, uh, more plantations of pine and eucalyptus. That has, that's nothing to do with reforestation. Um, so we, we are very principled about this. We also want to explore better ways how native tree species can be used. But there's also, we need a lot of more capacity in this world on how to restore them. And um, yeah, it's more difficult, you know. In, 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 this, in, it means that everywhere where you work, whether it's in the Mata Atlantica, whether it is in, in Burkina Faso, whether it's in Madagascar, whether it's in Indonesia, you'll have to do with different tree species that need different treatment to grow. There's no one size fits all. Um, so you need local partners that understand that and they have to tell the younger guy in the nursery how to do it and they have to tell the other guy how to do it. Um, but this way we are helping to build up this capacity which we're going to need very soon on a very large scale uh, as we can see uh, you know everyone wants to plant trees today uh, there's hardly anyone really knowing what he's talking about and if we really become serious about these things we're really going to need people that can do this native restoration uh, at, at large scale and then i mean with many many smallholders involved uh, thinking smartly about where in the landscape we need to bring forest back to create corridors and how can I breathe my 25 native species in the nursery. Um, yeah. That's remarkable and I'm really glad that such a large organization has this attitude towards reforestation because I've been doing research on this topic for quite a while now and like you said it's hard to find reforestation efforts that don't approach it from a monoculture plantation point of view. Yeah. And with that in mind, what is the criteria then for selecting tree species to plant in each different region? Because obviously, uh, each one performs differently. The native species of each region are different. How do you go about selecting those? Yeah, but we don't really select them. Our, our local partners select them. They, they have sure. the ones who have that know-how. So um, they, <clears throat> in every contract that we make, they include a list of the species that they want to plant. Uh, I, of course, tell them upfront, or, you know, if we get to a point where we're making a contract that we already agreed it will be natives, but I still check it and to see, uh, you know, because sometimes they say, 
yeah, it's not, uh, yes, it's native because it's adapted. Uh, like, oh, that's not really the same. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, go to, we go through the list that they want to plant, but I mean, they are free in setting up that list. Uh, you know, they, we select our partners on the fact that they have been working in the region before, have been doing successful restoration, often much smaller than what Ecosia eventually needs, but at least they have to have a track record. So they know which species uh, they use, they know how to grow them in the nursery, they know where the mother trees are that can provide the seeds, all of these things. And uh, yeah, we, we, we check that. And um, I'm, I'm now working um, on, a, on a big uh, database in which we have all our tree species. So you can uh, have further storage around them and uh, you can actually uh, see where we planted which species. I mean, things like this take a bit of time, but this is, this is what we're doing on our end. Um, and Really, if you think about it, in, in many of the we work in biodiversity hotspots, eh? so this is quite important. A biodiversity hotspot is a de, is a is a definition of an area that that has uh, over one thousand five hundred endemic species, so uh, birds, animals, plants that only live there, but of which seventy percent is already gone, and the remaining thirty percent is under high pressure. That's the definition of a biodiversity hotspot. It's pretty awful. Um, um, and why was this concept developed? It's because conservation money, uh, you need to priority certain areas over others. This was the original thinking about the creation of the so-called biodiversity hotspots. Um, <clears throat> so we use this as a compass, like where can Ecosia's money have the biggest impact? Because if we can restore uh, some hectares of Madagascar, it means we are really saving some species from extinction. Um, and, and to me, that's a better spend of our money than planting another hectare, um, uh, for example, in, in Canada or Russia. Um, so from a biodiversity perspective, that, that is really what I want to go to those, uh, to those places. But it also means we're directly um, uh, supporting capacity building around these species in the region. Because the, way, the easy way how it starts is that you look around in the native trees, the native forest patches that are still there, and you collect the seeds from these trees and you're going to try how they do in the nursery. People very often know which one are more the primary species, which one are more the climax species, so that know-how is there. And then you see over time they start experimenting with new species. You know, this is kind of the logical excitement that comes in these groups to, uh, to start and try new things. And this is, you know, I've seen a nursery in, in Brazil uh, run by Copa Iba, a women, uh, a women group that I think was growing over... 200 or 300 species in a single nursery. I, what that means, you know, it means that in the brains of these women, there is how you can save this forest or how you can regrow this forest with all its biodiversity. That's, that's where I stand up for every morning. <laughs> really. Yeah, that's remarkable. And so, I mean, now that this, this program has been established for a bit of time, what effects have you seen in some of these projects over the time since they've been established as the new forests start to become um, kind of more stable and have an impact on the local ecosystem? Yeah. Um, one uh, word of caution, many of our projects um, you know, were started after I joined Ecosia three years ago. So we have signed, of the 25 projects, we have signed 20 projects in the past uh, two years. So <clears throat> these trees are growing, uh, I visit them frequently or my colleagues, but it's, it's, you can't expect that they already have a big impact on the natural uh, ecosystem. Um, for the older trees, um, we see very clear things. So let me give you just three examples. The one is on Madagascar, where we are planting mangrove trees uh, to protect uh, the coast and to you know, mangroves are great. You know, they also store a lot of carbon and they're kind of the nurseries for many fish species. If you look at a map of that region, uh, where uh, you can really see an increase in forest cover uh, from 2015 on. Um, so it's literally, go use Google Maps, zoom into the area and you see that the forest cover is increasing. And also if you look at it a bit more techn- uh, technologically, um, you, can, uh, you, you can, with satellites, look at uh, the rate the difference between uh, the absorption of light over time and <clears throat> of course if there's more leaves more light will be absorbed this is a very uh, lay, layman's way of explaining it but this is what we do so you can see that over time the absorption of light is getting higher at these sites and it means that there's more leaves there's more there's more chlorophyll 
and, and the site gets greener. So this is an area where you can actually see that as well in the satellite imagery because it's available as well as with the more, the more technical approach. So that's cool, you know, tree density uh, is, uh, is coming back there and it's, it's, it's increasing over time. So uh, um, that's, that's, that's exactly what we're here for. And again, the youngest trees there are now maybe four years old, um, but already it has a measurable impact. Um, another project where I was recently super excited is in Indonesia. Uh, the wet tropics, I mean, <clears throat> this is of course a, the ideal place to grow trees because it's, it's hot and, and, and wet there, so that means trees love to grow. Um, but we have a system there where uh, farmers that are, the, 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 the classical way of doing agriculture uh, on Borneo um, by the Dayak people is to use um, a forest, uh, then they will do uh, some, um, um, some some cereal there for a couple of years, and then if the soil is not productive anymore, they put rubber trees on it, or they just leave the site alone, and they go and burn the next uh, the next plot of forest. Um, <clears throat> this is not a very sustainable system. At the other hand, this is something they've been doing for centuries, so we should maybe also respect a little bit their traditional way of living in that uh, regard. Now, what we do there is that we um, we say, okay. How about instead of just leaving the site alone, you now actively plant fruit trees there. And for every fruit tree that you plant, we will give you a way more productive rubber tree that also lives much longer. And of course, the secret plan here is that we are, instead of you know, these areas growing into kind of uh, shrubs and, and wheat areas, this is really how they see it. To us, it looks like a forest. For them, it's just an area full of wheat. It grows in, in, into uh, an orchard. Um, and I've been there and it's, it's working, you know, you see people now harvesting uh, their first fruits from the trees there and they grow so incredibly fast. I've been there on bare land where we started the program uh, when I was there two and a half years ago and now two and a half years later, I, I was surrounded by trees. We were, we were walking into a forest and, um, because the guy wanted to show his plot, the farmer. And on a certain moment he stopped and said, and he said, we're there. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean we're there? He said, we're there. Mm. I said, we're, we're in the middle of the forest. We're surrounded by trees. Yeah, yeah, we're there. And this was the same spot where I was a couple of years earlier and I was not. So wow. this is this is very real. I can't get it more real. What is, I mean, you could, let me be a bit the devil's advocate to myself. What is now the impact of this on, uh, on, the, on the local biodiversity? What is now the impact of this on the social, you know, the local economy? What is the impact on this, on, on the water uh, cycles, etc.? I've, that's still very moderate. You know, we, we would be the last one as Ecosia to say that we are solving all the problems in the region there. Our trees, uh, in particular, where they are there to protect uh, against uh, erosion or to, uh, to avoid too much runoff, this is happening and it is regreening the area. In Burkina Faso, you know, we are restoring desert, deserted land back into tree systems, into savanna forests. And this is only possible if you, if you catch the water that is falling there once a year, but you actually are able to keep it instead of letting it run off. And that's what we do there. We make holes in which we put seeds and then the tree starts growing. So this, this, this effect there is it's, it's, it's really, really significant. Um, do we measure all the different impacts? Now we've started doing that a little bit, uh, also on the social level, like how many people are working for us. But there's still a lot more we can do there. Um, but we are bringing native trees, native forests back on the planet. That is a claim I, I will uh, be able to carry with me the rest of my life. Mm. Now, I like that you mentioned the social aspect there. It is a big part of the impact that is, is, is built into the process here and why that you, you work directly with organizations in these specific places, because obviously planting a forest is an amazing and essential step forward. But how are you working with the communities themselves in the affected areas to make sure that the forests are actually valued and not just cut down again as soon as the project potentially wraps up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, <clears throat> I, this I think is, is the more, uh, almost more interesting even dimension of our work. Because obviously, if you're working in areas that are heavily deforested, why wouldn't the new trees that you plant there face kind of the same future as the trees that used to be there? Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. The one is 
um, that also in the global south, um, people have realized that their practices of the past decades were not sustainable. Um, that is why we now have communities coming uh, to us asking for trees. They see that all, uh, all their topsoil has just been running into the river. You can't, you know, the river is nothing more than a basin full of topsoil now, and most of it is uh, flushing towards the sea. So they're losing their topsoil. And this is, you know, for example, in Ghana, I could see this very clearly. Uh, in Burkina Faso, they know that uh, overgrazing and using the wood uh, for firewood, you know, has degraded the landscape and, you know, has increased the, the, the hectares of desert that they have in their country. So people there, and I see the same in Ethiopia, I see the same in Peru, they are aware that cutting all the trees kind of endless on their land wasn't really a good idea. Not everywhere, but in the place where we work, there is that sense of sentiment coming. So that is a reason why they are also more sensible, I guess, for starting to work with us. Now, the other thing is that it's really important to design the right social incentives in your program. And, and what I mean with that is that, um, um, sorry, I found this term. What is really important is to build uh, the right social incentives in your program. And what I mean with that is that you kind of understand um, uh, how the people will react to certain trees. So um, a very easy way of looking at it is if you work with farmers and they have to plant trees on their land, you want to make sure these are trees that have a direct benefit for them. For example, because of the fruits or because of the raisin or because of the nuts that come out of them or they can use the branches for firewood. So these are the things you want to make sure because then the farmer has to take care of these trees. Uh, by the way, I also think that that is a reason why the farmer should actually pay a little bit for his trees. Even if it's, even if it's just a, a very symbolic, uh, symbolic price, if you get something for free, it doesn't have a value. So if you pay a symbolic price for it, it is something that you paid for, and I feel you will even take better care of it. But this is a, just a little cycle. For the larger um, uh, areas, um, you also have to treat it not like a, we're going to plant trees here and please be happy. You have to treat it as a partnership between you and the village. There is a problem, not enough trees, and we can solve it together. But we as Ecosium can bring the financial means, for example, to set up a nursery. Um, but they really have to make clear agreements on how they will deal with the future new restored site. And if they're not willing to make those agreements, then it's not yet the right time to, to start working with them. So, um, and I'm not saying this is going perfectly everywhere, but in most of our projects, there's, there's very clear agreements within the community on how they treat the new land. Um, and that means um, uh, no grazing, that means a caretaking committee. Um, it very often also means that Ecosia pays for the nursery, but the community makes uh, the labor available to get the trees in the ground and to do the earthwork. So that's, that's a partnership where, where we're both benefiting from. And, and this, this social incentives and, and the way how, how we frame that also towards the village, and I'm learning a lot from all my projects here, and I'm teaching new projects <laughs> on this because it's, it's vital. It's basically working on changing mindsets. And this is the thing that we have to understand to bring trees back. Um, someone said, you know, if you have a globe and you spin it and you randomly put your finger somewhere, you can probably plant a tree there. And I think that's probably true. But if you spin a globe and you randomly put your finger there, there's also someone who is using this land. Even if it's very extensively, someone will be there with his goats every now and then or with his cow to, to use that land. So that means that every reforestation project is also a social economic project. And you have to understand this dimension very much, otherwise you better don't start the work because it's not just a technical challenge. And so I'm, again, we're not, we're not perfect in everything, but we're very aware of this and we're more and more um, including this in when we make a project design together with our partners. Mm. And Another aspect that I learned from doing research on the website there is that you work with a lot of sort of unexpected ways of growing trees that don't actually involve planting them directly. 
Can you talk <laughs> yeah. about, yeah, some of like the firefighting efforts in Brazil and some of the organizations that you support that are helping yeah. forests to grow naturally? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, ecologically, see, planting a tree is often <laughs> actually the worst way to get a tree back, you know, mm. because it's, it's, you have to uh, kind of uh, nurture, nurture it in the nursery, and that, you know, you, that means uh, very often people have to buy the plastic bags in which you put it, and then it has to be prepared, it has to be taken care of, and then you take this very fragile little tree out of the nursery and put it somewhere in the, in the harsh world, it's going to survive, so it's gonna, probably going to die. It, it's really, if you look at it purely from an efficiency perspective, it's really not the best way to bring trees back. Whereas in most of the places, in particular where we work, if you would just put a fence around it, trees would, would already grow back. Because it's not that there are no trees there because people didn't plant them yet. There's no trees there because people are using the land. There is cases where even if you don't use the land, trees don't grow back. This is very much true, for example, for, for our sites in Burkina Faso, there is eroded sites in uh, Ethiopia and, uh, and Peru, where this is also the, also the case. But very often, trees will grow there if you just leave it alone. The, my favorite example is if you ever travel through Germany or France by train, there's all these um, abundant um, uh, you know, uh, railway stations, you know, the ones that were very active in the 70s and are not active anymore. And, and, and many of them are overgrown with trees now because no one, <laughs> no one entered the site. Uh, and, and so what happens, uh, trees start to grow. Um, and, and, and this is the case in many places in the world. Now, um, therefore, at Ecosia we say, we are the search engine that plants trees, but really we want to be the engine that grows trees. And if we find more effective ways to grow trees back, we're absolutely interested in exploring. The world, however, is more looking into, you know, trees, you know, you want to plant them, but we say, no, that's not a matter. So, a relatively famous one is farmer managed natural region. And this means that uh, many farmers on their land actually have stumps still growing. Every or their animals eat the stump. These trees never get into full trees. However, if you manage that stump, so it's basically, cutting, you know, cutting off uh, the, 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 the weakest, uh, weakest stems and allowing the tree to give it energy to, to the one or two biggest that are over time a tree will grow back and it will go it will be very robust because it still has its roots system now, the roots are there uh, you're just uh, you're just adding the tree to it so farmer managed natural regeneration is how it's called or assisted natural regeneration uh, it's a great way to grow trees back we also in, in brazil we talked to a partner who said you know the biggest threat to our trees here is actually fires you know we all see that in the amazon actually it's illegal to put your land on fire to clean it from trees, but still many people do it. So we did, we did two things there. Uh, we put on a lot of signs everywhere saying it's illegal to burn uh, land for, uh, for, for grazing when there's trees on it. Uh, so if you see this happening, please call this number. So this has two messages, one to the one who wants to do it. Second that, oh, if he does it, he probably has a, probably has a problem. This, the other thing is we're supporting a team of firefighters that goes there in the dry season. When they receive a message about a fire starting somewhere, they go there and they, they, they fight the fire. And, and we expect that in the coming five to 10 years, we will be able to grow back 25 million trees this way. Um, but again, we don't want to bullshit about it. So we're clearly mapping which area has been burned and which area do we think we avoid that burn because of this. And we'll have to now track over time how this is developing. So this is, it's a little bit out of the box way of doing it. Um, a different way we do it in Malawi is we try to grow trees through the radio. So what we do there um, is that we say many farmers here are actually practicing farmer managed natural regeneration. So they're keeping trees on their land. But there's also many farmers who are not doing it. How can this be? The one farmer sees the benefit, the other doesn't. And, and we, our hypothesis is, is that the farmers who don't do it, they are not convinced of the benefits of trees. So instead of, you know, teaching them about the benefits of trees, we thought, why don't we make a radio show in which the farmers that have trees on their land explain to the, to the world, the world in Malawi, why they're having the trees on their land, what benefits it has for them, you know, and why they're maintaining these trees. Um, and maybe that's a way 
to bring many trees back in the landscape. But again, Ecosia will only know if we do a baseline study and after the radio programs, uh, we, we check again, you know, have we seen any increase in tree cover? So that's what we did. We will never just do firefighting. We will never just do a radio program. We want to make sure that this is a way to grow trees back. So we measure a baseline, we do our activity and we measure how things are going. And, and if this works, we have some super out of the box, very scalable because fires are everywhere in the world and people listen to the radio everywhere in the world. To, uh, to increase our programs. This is remarkable. I, I really admire kind of the creativity of these approaches and seeing reforestation uh, on, on many different levels from the social down to working directly on the ground and putting trees in the ground and all of the different methods that can be utilized to help transform not just the, the thoughts and the education of the people involved with this, but actually the culture around it, that this spreads perhaps from generation to generation and speaking of that, what are some of the overall goals of Ecosia for reforestation in the long term? Where would you like to be in, say, five or ten more years? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's two things. The one is that, <clears throat> um, as I said, uh, we started our conversation with talking about the difference about native forest and uh, monoculture eucalyptus or pine plantations. Um, I think one of the problems we have is that um, uh, indeed not every tree is a business case. So, you know, if it would obviously pay back to restore uh, native, native forests, we wouldn't have a problem because everyone would be doing it. But it's not so obvious. So, but whereby for eucalyptus and pine, of course, people don't pay for the buy effects, but you know, there's a business case. Now, not every tree is a business case, but the world is getting smarter on how trees can be part of a productive earning um, uh, agro model, which you would then call an agroforestry model, where instead of having one annual monoculture crop, you'll actually have annual plus perennial crops, plus bushes, plus shrubs on your land, all have products that you can harvest, uh, different products, so a diversification of your income stream, but you will be way more resistant against prices in the market and also against, for example, climate change. And I really believe that we will, I'm already seeing it, we are seeing an uptake of these models, not only in the, in the developing world, but also in, in Western countries. But more and more people are thinking, how can we bring trees back into our agricultural systems? And I'm, what I would excite me, and we have done the first uh, starts here, is that Ecosia will show that this kind of restoration agriculture, where you bring soil back and where you bring trees back in the landscape, actually will be a business case as well. You just have to maybe a little bit more patient when you get your money back. And you maybe have to accept a little bit of a lower return, but it can pay out. It's not something that needs extra cash every year. So we are showcasing now the first projects that are actually working that way. So in my view, in the next five years, we will not only be spending money on planting native forests back but half of our money would actually be used to uh, showcase restoration agriculture with tree systems and that money we would earn back and we would use again to either do the same thing or plant more native forests so i want our portfolio to be kind of 50 50 and these two are super complementary uh, in a landscape perfect in an ideal situation you have both restoration of the native forests and as a buffer zone next to them, you have agroforestry systems that actually pay back themselves. This would be my absolute dream. And we make kind of productive and profitable landscapes. So this is the one vision I'm having. The other vision is that we really need a lot of trees to grow back. And the only way how we can do that is to build capacity in the world on how to do this. There are so many tree planting claims all over the world. And I'm not convinced that many of them are, have happened and I'm absolutely not convinced that many of them that pledge that they want to do a lot will actually make it happen because they frankly have no idea what they're talking about. We've planted, <laughs> yeah, we've planted 70 million trees. Uh, it was not easy and it is not easy to make the plans and the budget and everything for the next 100 million trees. We will get it, we will get it done, but it's not easy. So if someone pledging that he's going to plant a billion or even a trillion trees, I think, I think it's time to start telling him that 
the future of our planet is too serious to make jokes. Um, so I'm inviting everyone to be very serious about, about planting trees, um, but we need them to be serious. And that includes, and this is basically the point where I want to get to, is that you know where your trees are planted, so you have a map in which you can show here and here and here, and that you're also following up on them as per the Ecosia method, I would say, at least three years. So you're really working on an impact and not just on putting some more roots in the soil. Sure. Um, I want adding the statistics be... in order to get sort of support either economically or, you know, through wow. other social means. Yeah. It seems like that's yeah. being leveraged a lot now to kind of pad people's, uh, you could call it green credibility for their organizations or their businesses. And you see that a lot that, you know, how do you follow up if there's any meaning behind it, perhaps? Yeah. No, no. So I, I, I think in the tree planting sector, it should be the, the default or the natural reflex to say, okay, can I have a map of where my trees are? Can I have geotech pictures of my trees or of the tree planting itself? Can I have a list of which species are planted there? And um, um, I'm going to follow up on that for, for three years. And this is really the kind of next step this sector has to make uh, because everything else will just lead to more talking, um, but you know, the actual action on the ground not catching up with that. And that's the big problem, people that, that depend on, on, on you know, their landscapes being restored. I love that. I like the, the ambition behind that, but also the pragmatism and realizing kind of where you haven't gotten to yet and um, kind of working a strategy in there within kind of an admission of, of what needs to get done to achieve it. And with that in mind, how can people at home participate and support these replanting efforts? Um, <clears throat> I think the, the big impact that they can have is maybe not uh, what they think directly. The big impact that it can have is, first of all, use Ecosia as your search engine. The more people we have, the more value we have to advertisers, and the more money we'll get. That's a very simple way to have a very big impact. The second thing that you do is to set, always be very critical when people are making games that sound too good to be. Um, and, and having said that, I realize Ecosia makes maybe even a claim that's too good to be true, saying that we've planted 70 million trees. But okay, ask me anything you want. Ask me to, to show where they are. Uh, ask me how we work with everyone. I can give you the answers and I'm convinced I can convince you. But if someone makes pledges about what they're going to do or what they want to do in future or what I have been doing, ask the question, show me the map, show me geotech pictures and uh, show me how they're doing after three years. Because yeah. then you're really helping to professionalize the sector. And the third thing you can do is to do your own action, you know. Um, um, contact organizations that uh, do uh, tree planting uh, um, actions uh, to see how you can support them. Buy products in your supermarket that depend on trees. You know? Eat more almonds. <laughs> eat, more, eat more nuts and, and, and try, try to think about, you know, is there, even for flour, you know, you can make, uh, you make, can make um, flour out of chestnuts. So, which uh, is wonderful. <laughs> which is a wonderful flower. So, you know, if, if you just mix 25% chestnut flour into your, the cake you're making, you're, you're directly stimulating more chestnut trees to grow back. So there's, yeah, there's all these things that you can do that your purchasing decision will actually, you know, destroy a forest or, or, or regrow a forest. You know, and I, I know that not every chestnut tree comes from a forest, but it's the beginning, you know. And the same with where are you flying? Are you going to take the plane or are you going to take the train? You know, there's these three that we simply all have to do and it should be the default way of looking at things and not a kind of green choice that actually hurts for sure now peter i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today i have been using ecosia as a search engine for a couple of years now and it's great to kind of hear a first-hand account of how these projects and you know where that minor contribution is actually kind of working behind a groundswell that's getting real work done all around the world, especially in these zones of threatened biodiversity, which I'm increasingly concerned about. And I mean, 
just so much of the research that I've done through this series here on reforestation has reconfirmed for me the importance of this type of work. And yep. it's a real pleasure speaking to you. So uh, I wish you the best in all these projects. Perhaps we can do a follow-up again in a couple of years and see how these continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. It would be my pleasure. That would be a very sustainable way of uh, looking at it. So let's do that. Marvelous. All right. I'll talk to you again soon. You take care. Thank you, Oliver. All right. That wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. The best part is that you can search by topic rather than waiting through more than 100 interviews by typing in any keyword or topic that you're looking for in the search function on the podcast page. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, to beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design philosophy, and so much more. Thank you so much to those of you who've taken the time to reach out via comments and emails. Your contributions help me to make this the conversation that it's intended to be and helps me create more of the content around the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, questions, or suggestions, be sure to send them to me at info at AbundantEdge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so I'll catch you on next week's show.